So Pastor Mike asked me a pretty interesting question last week. He said, hey, did you notice that when Jesus is putting someone of the 12 to be in charge of handling the finances, he does not choose Levi? Now, that's a pretty big deal because Levi, also known as Matthew, was a tax collector. After all, he should be good at handling finances, right? Uh, it's kind of like if you had a friend of yours who was a CPA and you said, oh, I trust everyone else to handle finances except for you. That might be a little weird, right? Well, so here's the answer after I looked around and some commentaries and such. I think I've formulated somewhat of an answer. So here we go. Drum roll. Drum roll. Hey, uh, drummer, hey, can you give me a drum roll? Oh, you already left the stage? Okay, that's fine. I guess I'll have to do it myself. All right, drum roll. Woo! Okay, the answer is the Bible doesn't say it, and really a lot of commentators don't know either. So I actually have no answer, but I can say a couple things about tax collectors that are important and might give reason why. So first of all, tax collectors were horrible people. I mean, they absolutely were. They were thieves. So for example, they would knock on your door and they'd say, hey, you owe 50. No, actually, you know what? You owe 70. Then they would pocket 20, give 50 to Rome. Did Rome care? No, all Rome cared was about getting theirs, getting their 50. They didn't care how much you collected. And by the way, could you argue with the tax collector? No, because they had the entire authority of the Roman army under their belt. So number one, that they were thieves. Number two, and this is more important, they were traitors. What I mean by that is imagine Rome traveling, the Roman Empire traveling from Rome across the Mediterranean Sea and they capture Jerusalem and they do what they normally do. So they burn down houses, they kill people. And so after you just witnessed your house getting burnt down and your family getting killed, they say, hey, who wants to work for us? And you gotta imagine, most people are just appalled thinking, I would never work for the enemy. And then a few hands come up. It's always that guy. That guy gets a quick buck to become a tax collector and actually work for the Roman Empire, the, tra the, the enemy. Now they're working for them rather than against them. And so, they were horrible people because they were thieves, but also because they were traitors. And, it's, and they were seen as such. And so that's the deal. I think that it was just bad optics to put a tax collector who's known for being immoral around money to put him in charge of money. It must have been something around that. Although, this is where it becomes murky because who he ended up putting in charge was Judas Iscariot. And Judas Iscariot, we all know, well, anyways, he wasn't exactly a stand-up character either. So it is kind of interesting, but we do know that tax collectors were immoral around money, and so I'm sure that that's why Jesus did it. So not really an answer, but there you go, a little bit about tax collectors, and that's enough tonight for our Historical Minute. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how powerful it is. And today as we take a look into your word, open up our hearts and our minds to see how it is that you want for we as your children to, to live out our lives. We also see today a lot of things we're not to do. So we just pray for your direction today. We pray for your strength and your spirit to give us the ability to live out your word the way you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I get started, um, we saw a video a little bit ago, which, you know, one part of it was, you know, 
the, you know, earlier there was the announcement part of it, and then we saw the, the video about the building project. And I've been a part of a lot of building campaigns, and I really see a huge need for this fellowship hall. In fact, today I um, taught a class, and so my voice is kind of shy. I preached this morning at a three-hour um, class I did this afternoon um, for new members. And I'm in the fellowship, the, our current fellowship hall, tiny little space, and there is that old curtain that was talked about in the video. Um, and then there was our tiny fellowship hall on the other side. And that um, so-called curtain is like air. I mean, just like tra sound just travels back and forth. And so, you know, I'm trying to teach my class and people are trying to have fellowship on the other side at the same time. And it was, um, it was tough. You know, I felt kind of bad because I should go in the other room and say, can you guys just quiet down a little bit? And I just, I don't want to do that anymore. We need this fellowship hall for people of all um, groups and all different generations. And, and um, hopefully you get a chance too. If, if you're not coming on Sunday mornings, we're doing a really fun series focusing on generations. And um, if you get a chance, we go online and listen to the series. I think it's going to be very helpful as we learn more about each other. And, and today, as I went through the scripture for today, um, I saw a couple of themes that I want to really point out. And I want to backtrack a little bit. We're going to be picking up um, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. But I want to go back to the, the section where, where Pastor Mike left off last week regarding the healing of the, the paralytic. And because I really think it ties into the one that I'm going into today as well. And so there's some heroes I see in that section that sometimes are unsung. There's a group of people that carried the paralytic to Jesus. And they brought him up on top of the house. Imagine the amount of work it took to get them on top of the house. And this house is full of people. And what do they do? They knock a hole through the roof. And they lower this guy down to Jesus. And the reason I'm bringing this out is because those are amazing friends that brought him there. To go that extra mile to make sure that their friend got to Jesus. Because they believed that Jesus had the power to heal him and Jesus did that. But also with that, even as Jesus healed this man, and all of a sudden this guy who was paralyzed all of a sudden is walking around, the main reason he did it was to show that he has the power to do what? Heal, but also take away our sin. The most important miracle in life is not a physical healing. That paralyzed guy eventually, his body was still going to break down sometime and he was going to die. But when you receive the forgiveness of sins, how long does that last for? Forever. forever. That's the ultimate miracle, is to know that we are forgiven. In this room right now, that through faith in Jesus Christ, as we partook of the Lord's Supper and as we um, offer and confess our sins to God, we are forgiven. There's no sin in this room, and that's the most incredible miracle, that even though we all sin, we're forgiven. And that kind of ties into where we pick up for today. And it's in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. I really liked Mike's video today. Does a really good job with those. And tax collectors were hated people. They were traitors. Why did Jesus go to Levi? Why did he go to this guy? He picked some fishermen, in fact, a number of fishermen, but for some reason he picks out this tax collector. And the thing is, it says Levi, 
He leaves this very good, high-paying job. He probably was a pretty wealthy guy. And now he's going off into uncertainty. Basically working for Jesus for free. Okay, Just turning his life over to him. Why would someone do that? You see, Jesus does not look at the outside. He looks where? On the inside. And I guarantee you that Levi felt empty on the inside. He was tired of living the way he was living, and Jesus could see that. And the very fact he left this lucrative career to follow Jesus says a lot. And something really interesting follows. And Levi, also named Matthew, made him a great feast in his house. Made who a great feast? Jesus. Okay? But now notice he's gonna, who he's going to invite. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Now, who do tax collectors hang out with? Other tax collectors. What kind of people are they? Pretty corrupt. So who are these others? I'm guessing a pretty shady group of people. And they're all invited to the party along with who? Jesus. And so Jesus is there. You think Jesus knew who was going to be there? You better believe he knows everything. He's hanging out with some of the seediest people in that area. The outcasts, hated by the Jewish people around them. But he's there with them. And we read on. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. They're not talking to him. They're talking to who? The disciples. They're trying to get these disciples to defect. Saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you hanging out with this terrible group of people? Just by saying that, they're saying, what about themselves? We're better than them. We are better than them. They're scum. Why are you hanging out with them? We're the cool ones. And Jesus answered them. You know, sometimes Jesus lets these guys have it. And sometimes he's pretty gentle. But he says some words here that really, I think a lot of it flies over their head. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came for who? For sinners. And what's interesting here, if you think about what he says, I've not come to call the righteous. Were those Pharisees and scribes righteous? No, not at all. But they thought they were. They thought they were cool. They thought they were better than anybody else. You see, they were completely unaware of their true condition. But Matthew has come aware of his situation. He realizes his sin. He's found salvation. And not only has he found salvation for himself, but he wants his friends, the seedy group of people, to know the same Jesus he has come to know. And so they realize their sin, but the Pharisees did not realize their sin. You know, a couple things here. It's so important for us to be honest with ourselves. To be fully honest with ourselves. I think we live in a world today very similar to this time 
when Jesus walked on the planet. We're living in this post-Christian era, and a lot of ways similar to that very first century. And the Pharisees and scribes, they weren't looking at themselves. They were looking at everybody else. And how often do we see this in life today? People that never take a look into their own hearts, but people who look at everybody else. And I think society tries to get us to walk down that path. I mean, you check out at the grocery store and you see these magazines on the racks all around you and it says, you know, third so-and-so was abducted by an alien, so-and-so has a third eye, got all these crazy stories about other people. Why? So you focus on other people, not yourself. There's only one life we can live. Whose life is it? Our own. And sometimes it's tough. It's easier to look at everybody else's faults than our own. But I know it's right now. Every one of us is messed up. Every one of us has made big mistakes. If I came down right now, let's go down a row here, and every one of you start laying out your dirty laundry, we're going to be here for weeks, folks. We all have made mistakes. But Jesus came for sinners like us. And it's important for us to be honest about it. Because we're only as sick as our secrets. It's so important for us to to be able to admit our sin and and to see our shortcomings and be aware. Self-awareness is a word I've really thought a lot about in recent years. Awareness of who we are as far as our spiritual walk. And I've got to be honest with you, in the last few years of my life, especially the last year in particular, I've come to learn a lot more about myself. And sometimes it it takes some time to get away from your situation. When I walked away from my last calling as as a pastor, I left to do different kind of work. And I had six months just to really think and find myself. And I feel a lot better. I had other plans during that time, but God didn't want me to have those plans. He wanted me to focus on myself. To read the Bible, not for preparing Bible studies and sermons, but to read the Bible exclusively for my own gain, to learn about, for me. Every one of us is uniquely different. And the thing is, we're called to be the person that God made us to be. We're living in a world that's telling you, you got to be somebody else. Got to be like these people. Got to look like these people. Baloney. You got to be yourself. The person that God made you to be. The very best person God made you to be. Not somebody else. Because God loves you and made you the way you are. These Pharisees are trying to mold people into the image they want by controlling them. That's the church of Jesus' time. The church that was supposed to be representing God was leading people down the wrong path. We read on. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often. And offer prayers. And so the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours, they eat and drink. What a bunch of party poopers. Let's be honest. With you. They want to have a religion that's no fun. Jesus is not against fasting, but he's saying when you fast, do what? Don't make it a show. He's not against praying, but he says when you pray, do what? Go off by yourself. Don't make it into a show. But when you live your Christian life, have fun. Okay? Have fun. This is what he goes on to say. Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is 
taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. We'll stop there for a second. You see, back then, weddings were like a big party. It wasn't just a one-nighty thing. You know, they partied for a week or more. It was a big celebration. He's saying this. We should be joyful. If the world looks at us as his church and we are a bunch of party poopers that have just are boring and just are show, you know, outwardly pretend like we're perfect when we're not, that's not the representation. If we're truly living in the joy of Jesus Christ, if we're living in his love and people see that, that's contagious. I was at a church back in Michigan years ago and and I can honestly say it was probably the most fun time of my, my ministry. Just had a really good time. Just a great, you know, just incredible church as far as just discipleship and excitement and a lot going on. We had a lot of people going to ministry. And I approached some of them and said, so why did you decide to become a pastor? And they said, you know, one reason, Pastor John, is because we looked at you and you look like you're having so much fun. We thought this seems like a fun thing to do. Um, but God called them, obviously. But I think if we are having fun in what we're doing as Christians, that's contagious. A lot of people out there, they're struggling. Life is miserable. Life is tough. We have the answers. We have every reason to be living in joy. And Jesus basically, in nice words, is calling these guys a bunch of party poopers at church at the time. So celebrate. Live in joy. Have fun. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the, match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst, the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. We have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. It all comes together. Jesus is not throwing the Old Testament out here. What he's saying to the Pharisees and the scribes is this. You got it wrong. You took the old way, and you built on it the wrong way. You've added on, you took the laws, you added on more laws, more regulations, more rules, more traditions, and all you're doing is enslaving people. You've, you've taken the old way, you made it no fun. The old way was meant to go in the right new way, and the new way is in the way of love and mercy and caring about people. The Ten Commandments were given to us to show us what love looks like. Not to be downers. We talked about this in the Exodus you know, series that, you know, you think about those commandments that, that we should, number one, you know, imagine this, we, we live in a way that we put God first, that we don't misuse his name, that we honor what we say and do, that we put the Sabbath day and we make a Sabbath day for, to worship God and to recalibrate our lives, that we um, respect and honor our parents and respect authority always, that we respect the lives of all people, that we use sex in the context which God intended it, that we respect the property of others, that we lift people up, don't put people down, speak the truth, and that we are thankful for what God has blessed us with. Is that bad stuff? That's good stuff, folks. It's love. Jesus is saying we're going in the new way here. You're going the wrong direction. Go in the direction of love and mercy and caring for others. Then it goes on here, it's chapter 6. On a Sabbath 
While he was going through the grain field, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. He said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, again, who are the whiners here? We got the same group. You see, Jesus is going through these grain fields with his disciples. It's okay to eat on the Sabbath. It's also okay to take grain when you pass through a field with your hands. You can't take a sickle and chop down someone else's field, but you can take grain and you're allowed to eat that. They're being nitpicky. They are so far down the pathway to legalism that every little thing, they're always looking for fault in every single person. They're trying to find fault in Jesus. And he's pointing out in the Old Testament, David did this. He's the greatest of all the kings. I've got a question here. A couple came up. Whenever a tax collector would take money for themselves, did the taxpayers know that the collectors were stealing from them? If so, why didn't they complain to the Romans? Again, as, as Mike had mentioned, you know, the Romans backed these tax collectors. They had the freedom to do whatever they wanted. They had to collect a certain amount of tax for the Roman government, but what they charged over that was their own right to choose whatever they wanted, and the Roman soldiers would back them, and sometimes they were so corrupt that they would say, okay, we want you to take even more and give some of it back to us. The people were defenseless, basically. It was a very corrupt system that was in place. It says here, some people believe that Christians are boring and party poopers. Was this perception of Christians made by earlier believers? Why does modern day still believe we are party poopers? This is a very good question. <laughs> a very honest question. And I'm going to get back to it in a second. I'm just going to read it through one more section, and we're going to come back to this topic. Chapter 6, verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to, to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said... What? After looking around at them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so here's a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And what does Jesus do? Heals him. And these Pharisees and scribes, they're ticked off. The guy had his cell, he was healed. But yet, they're so focused on themselves. They're just angry at Jesus. And Jesus' whole point is this. It's okay to show mercy and love on any day, even the Sabbath day. Now, back to this question here. And I kind of did this, you know, these, this sequence here kind of in an order. The first part showing that, you know, I want to go back to that for a second, that what can we do to have a Matthew party like Matthew did? 
to invite people into opportunities where they can experience Jesus. And then when it comes to the Pharisees that were the church at the time, the question I have is this. There's sometimes that the Christian church of today is like that. And so I read a book called Unchristian. And the book was written by a Christian. His name is David Kinnanen. And what he did was he polled unbelievers and asked them their perception of the Christian church. And when the results came back, it's, it's pretty alarming. That's why the book's called Unchristian, because we as Christians are being viewed by the unbelieving world as being what? Unchristian. And so there's a yellow sheet in your bulletins. I want you to take that out real quick, and I'm going to kind of wrap up with this. And so what this guy did, he put in these perceptions. This is how the world perceives us. Okay, the old perceptions is how the world perceived us. But what he puts into the book and into these, you know, he puts new perceptions, how we should act, what we need to do to change the viewpoint of the world, how we can be Christian, so to speak. And sometimes it's certain people that give us this bad, you know, viewpoint in the unbelieving world out there. Old perception, this is how the unbelieving world views us. Christians say one thing, but live something entirely different. The new perception, according to the book, and I think it makes sense, Christians are transparent about their flaws and act first and talk second. Okay? That's how we're to, to behave. Old perception. Christians are insincere and concerned only about converting others. New perception. This is how we should be. Christians cultivate relationships and environments where others can be deeply transformed. Doesn't that sound better? Takes the pressure off us. We pre- like we we had the Matthew parties, folks. Okay. Old perception: Christians show contempt for gays and lesbians. That's how the unbelieving world kind of views Christianity. Now, the Word of God is true. Okay. But Jesus said, "Love who? Everybody." You know, I can't imagine the people who were in that party at Matthew's house. Don't agree with them. Okay? We don't have to agree with them. We, don't have to, we, we love the sinner with the freedom to do what? Hate the sin. But we need to present to the world that we love everybody, regardless of who they are. Is that the way Jesus wants it to be? Yeah, to love everybody. That's the perception we should show. We love everybody. Don't agree with everybody, we love everybody. I don't even agree with myself sometimes. I mean, again, it's so important for us to focus more on doing what we need to do to better ourselves. And not be looking down our nose at everybody else. Old perception. Christians are boring, unintelligent, old-fashioned, out of touch with reality. New perception. Christians are engaged, informed, and offer sophisticated responses to the issues people face. Okay, we're informed. But we're also informed with the Bible. Okay? And to present in ways that are relevant and make sense. Old perception. Christians are primarily motivated by a political agenda and promote right-wing politics. New perception. Christians are characterized by respecting people, thinking biblically, and finding solutions to complex issues. Last one. Christians are prideful and quick to find faults in others. New perception. Christians show grace by finding the good in others and seeing their potential to be Christ followers. Folks, I don't know about you, but I want this world to go to Jesus. And if it's going to go to Jesus, we need to go where? To them, to the world. They're not going to come here. 
okay? Most likely. The people that come here are the ones that are already Christian. But Jesus wants to go out there and to apply these principles and to show the world what love looks like while we at the same time stand firm on the word of God. Let's um, close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example of Matthew. And even as he came to faith, that he desired so much for his friends and some people are pretty worldly speaking to come to know you. And you were there. Lord Jesus, we look into your word, we see who you hung out with. You loved everyone. You don't love sin, but you love us. You love every person. And Lord, help us to send a perception of the world that we as Christians are people that are full of love and joy. That they look to us and they think, wow, it looks like so much fun. Wow. They seem to really have a life that's incredible. I want that. It's going to open up doors. But Lord, help us not to follow the example of those Pharisees and scribes. Help us not to be a church that's legalistic and condemning and judgmental. But to be people always living in love and showing love in what we say and what we do while we hold firm to the power of your word. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.